Well, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. If you would turn there with me, you should have a handout there within your bulletin so you can follow along with some of the verses. And there's Bibles under the pews if you'd like to use them as well. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this time to be in your word. We pray that you would teach us this morning, enable us to walk in accordance with your perfect will, according to your perfect word for your glory and for our good. I pray that you'd bless every part of our service this morning, Lord, from the study of your word through our time and partaking of communion together. Be glorified here at Reverence Bible Church, Lord, within our lives, within our marriages, within our families, and as an entire church body. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text for this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We have all different people here. We have great-grandparents who are here. We have grandparents who are here. We have empty nesters who are here, and you've raised your kids, and they have moved on and, and have moved out or even have their own families now. We have parents that are in the midst of drowning with the kids that you have, and we have ones that are expecting, like Elena and, um, and others, and, and uh and then we have those that are married and are scared to death of that, like Louise is here who just got a dog to see if the dog could survive. That's what we started out with. Our dog was so precious to us, and then we had Jonathan, and the dog became so less precious to us. Um, but the dog is still surviving. And, uh, and then there's, there's, there's those who are single, and, and, uh, and the Lord may bring you to a place at some point of getting married and having kids, but the... The text before us as we study through Ephesians is, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's interesting because you you find parents who, some of you have your kids, they've all grown up and, and you have so much wisdom in what to do and what not to do. Um, others of you are, are in a place where, where you're just starting. When, when, when Jonathan was born, we, we, we actually said on the way home, it should be illegal for us to bring this kid home because we have no idea what to do. And we were so thankful to have family around that was able to help us and others around that were a blessing to us because it was just like, the, the nurse looked at us like, is the car seat all ready to go? And I'm like, I just got out of the box. And she's like, well, you got to adjust it. I, I was just like, I go, can you help? And she said, no, not allowed to by law. I said, what if you meet us at Ruby's? Can you help over there? And she said, no. And so we figured it out, and he got home safely. And we tried with him to do well, um, as ignorant as we were. And, and then the Guastafaros were dear friends of ours, are dear friends of ours, but at the time, are they in here right now? Oh, okay, I'll be careful. Um, <laughs> I thought I had so much freedom, but I might use it anyhow. Heidi's not here. Um, but they had Lucas. There you are, Lucas. Lucas, 
Lucas didn't cry for like the first like three years of his life. It was like an immaculate conception. Like he never cried. He was perfect without sin. Just so happy all the time. Whereas Jonathan was just like, you know, and, and Tosh and I are looking at each other like, Maybe there's something to that birthing center where someone from Little House on the Prairie wore a bonnet and had a catcher's mitt and, you know, was there to catch them. Maybe there's something to, like, not wearing a robe that someone died in three hours before you got here. You know, maybe we should do that next time instead of going to the regular hospital. Or maybe we should have that quiet time like the Guastaferos had with Lucas where no one could see him for, like, three hours as we sat out there with in and out because they needed quiet time with the baby, whereas all of you came to the hospital when our kids were born. Maybe there's something to these things. And so we kind of like thought through it and we're like, should we have done it differently? Should we have had the little house and prairie lady there? What should we have done with our kid to make him so he doesn't cry that much? And then they had Eliza and it was a whole different story. (laughs) There were smiles at times where I just thought like, "Mm -hmm." and that's what it feels like to have a baby cry. You, You just see that your kids are different. They're all different. Those of you who have had multiple kids, you know that they're just different. They react differently. You look and you see in Scripture that you have Cain and you have Abel coming from very good parents, Adam and Eve, and yet one was a murderer. You, you find that, that they came from the same household, but those kids also had to make decisions, and sin is possible, right? Um, I recognize that I need a whole lot of grace. I grew up in a family where my dad oversaw a ministry called Enjoying Family Ministries for like my entire childhood. We would take entire families up on retreats, and they would teach the parents how to be parents, and, and the kids would be separated, and we would learn about love, responsibility, unity, and discipline. And these were, the, it was regularly, several times a year, that we'd all go up to the mountains, and we'd have these retreats with entire families that were up there. And... And I, I feel like, I, like I, I, I had outstanding parents who, at the same time, we recognized that they were not perfect. I, I read, as I was studying through this, from James Montgomery Boyce, he was just like, I, I just suggest that nobody ever preaches on parenting or t- talks about parenting, gives advice on parenting until they have their kids that have all grown up and they've all turned out really good. Um, and he said, unfortunately for the preacher, when you get to Ephesians chapter 6, that's not a possibility. You are there. You are teaching through it. I, I recognize that I have experience in this. I taught youth ministry, high school kids, from 1989 to 2005 when we started this church, and I've been involved with the youth ministry to an extent here at the church since 2005. Coached high school soccer for 28 years, overseeing three to six teams all the way through, as well as club teams and so on and so forth. I've seen a whole lot of bad parenting. I've seen a whole lot of good parenting. I've seen a whole lot of stuff, and I recognize that with all that I've seen in the household that I came from, all that I know, I, I'm in desperate need of grace for my kids. There's times where I respond in a way where I'm just like, oh, I wish I could do that over again. I wish I could respond differently. I wish that that, that sin wasn't in me. I wish that, that um, I could take words back actions back, do things more lovingly, more intently. And like all of you here, likewise, you probably recognize that we all need a whole lot of grace through this process, don't we? 
The text before us begins by saying specifically, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children are a blessing, a gift from the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the land of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. And some of you have a quiver full of them. And you're happy about it. They're a blessing. But I wanted to start where the text ends, and that is, Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's the goal for us as parents. To bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Leviticus 18 verse 1 says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you shall not do. And according to the, to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments to keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. God's specifically saying, I am your God. Don't act like the world does. Don't go to the world for counsel on how to raise your kids. Don't follow the pattern of the world of what they're doing. We're to follow God. And what God calls us to do. We are to be so radically different in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in every area of our Christian lives. We are to be radically different than the world. God says, do what I say, don't do what the world says to do. We're to be different. You find it in Deuteronomy chapter 1 where it says, now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Now listen to what it says. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you. You and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as The Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here is the command of the Lord saying, be different than the world. These are the things that you're supposed to do. But how it should look is have reverence for God, fear of God, keep His commandments. But may we as as parents be so different than how the world conducts themselves because our greatest goal is that they would see God as sovereign and as supreme. We want them to see His greatness, don't we? We want them to love Him with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength. We want that. We want them to be in a place where where 
we are diligently teaching our kids about God and about His Word just throughout daily living. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It should be such that it's, it's, it's a sign that is just written even between our eyes and on the doorposts of our house. This is our God and this is what He says and this is how He is and this is what He does and this is what He calls us towards and this is who we are and this is what our future looks like and this is how we ought to live this should be something that just is a part of us as Christians because we know our God, we love our God, we've been given His Word, He has radically changed us, therefore we are to be different. So kids, when you're there and you're saying, well, the Smiths don't do it like that, how come their, their parents are way cooler than my parents are? Or you're comparing yourself to everybody else in the world, I'll just tell you, we ought to be radically different than people who do not know Christ. Radically different. Not only that, but as families, there's such that our, our standard isn't what any other family in this church does. Our standard is, what does God say in His Word? We're going to do it like that. Um, there's times where one of my kids might say, well, well, well my friends, they're, they're allowed to do this. Why, why can't I? And I say, because I love you more. <laughs> he doesn't like a lot of my answers, nor does Natalie. Um, why can't we do that? Well, because God gave us as your parents, not them. If God gave you their parents, then you probably could, but he gave you us, so you kind of got to deal with it. This is where we're at. We're strict on a whole lot of things, but we're also gracious on things as well. You see it in, in Joshua chapter 4. Again, where Joshua, Joshua called the, the 12 men and who had been appointed from the children of Israel. Joshua 4.4. 4, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that... The waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark and the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And then it goes on and says, And when he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When, you ask, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Verse 22 says, Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. And the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So God says, take these stones, 12 stones, put them up as memorial, because your children are going to ask, what's the point of the stones? And you as parents are to be able to say, because look at how awesome your God is. Look at how he loves us. Look at what he has done. He stopped the river. 
made it so we could walk through with the Ark of the Covenant. And he did this and he gave us these stones, told us to make this thing so that when you ask, we could say how awesome our God is and the way that he saves and what he did with the Red Sea and what he did for us. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a God who saves and there's nothing that's too hard for him. Behold your God. He says, do this for your children. Make it so that they know the greatness of our God. Make it so they know about him. I'll tell you, from our children's ministry through our youth ministry, our goal is not to entertain. Our goal is that your kids would grow up and love Christ because they know him. We're so passionate about that. I know that there are places where your kids could go where they'll be entertained so well. But you know what? When temptation comes their way and there is the potential to sin and to fall into the ways of the world, we so, we so much desire that they would say, that, how could I do such a wicked thing like that, like Joseph, and sin against the Lord my God? I, we, we desire for him to, them, them to treasure Christ more than the stuff that this world has to offer. It's the same for you here on Sunday morning. And throughout the studies throughout the week. Our passion is that you would see Christ. You'd see his beauty. You would know who your God is. You would know how he saved you. You would know what he says in his word. So that you would treasure him more than the stuff that this world has to offer. It's the whole point of going through his word. All the way through his word. It's know him. Fear him. Love him. This is how you ought to act this is the way that we ought to live because this is who the lord your god is and this is what he has said and this is what we are called towards and the fuel of it all is loving him knowing him loving him worshiping him wanting to live for him that's why we do what we do that's what god's called us to we see that god gives us wisdom in proverbs like he who spares his rod hates his son but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Well, that, that flies in the face of a lot of what the world says today. I mean, you think that the world believes something like, parents, obey your children, for this is right. Do what they say. Children, be best friends with your, or parents, be best friends with your children. Because then they're going to like you and do what you say. The goal for parents so much is, okay, 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 like, let's let the tail wag the dog. You just tell us, what do you like the most? We'll do what you want us to do. Because we just don't want to mix things up. God, help us to be parents. To look and have wisdom and say, no, I need this and you need this. And we're in a place where we need to grow. And this is what we're going to do together as a family. And you don't get to decide these things because God made us your parents. We want to honor God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is the way we're going to be. This is the way we're going to act. This is what we're going to do. And as long as you are in our household, this is how it's going to be. We're going to do everything we can to point you towards Christ, to encourage you to love him above all things. That's our passion. That's where we're at. That's where we're going. And if it means disciplining at times, then we're going to discipline. We, we had, my parents, they had a, a special utensil to beat us. And it was called the paddle, but it was made to beat people. And... It was up on top of the refrigerator, and, and I just remember, like, my dad just saying, like, okay, go get the paddle. And it was, like, the walk to, like, death row. And we'd go, and we'd get it, and we would bring it back. And, and, and there was, I, I know what was said, because this happened frequently. 
was, what did you do wrong? Punch Jeff, you know, or whatever it was. <laughs> Why is that wrong? Why is that sin? You know, and then they'd go through and it was, now you know like this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I just thought like, your pants are on fire right now. There's no way that this hurts you more than it hurts me. And then would come like, if you move, you will get it again. One, two, who does that? You can never say like, if you move on three, you're going to get it again because you can't help but on number three, move, right? Like it's going to happen. And so the spanking, the spanking would come and I would move and then I'd get it again. I remember like dozens, I'd like, no, I think my hand might be broken. Like it really hurt. Like that was enough. And it was like, no, I told you not to move. So now you get beat again. So this is what we did. But there was the rod in the Otsuji home. It was never administered in anger. It was always done in love. If my parents were really mad, they'd send us to our room until they were calm enough to administrate it in love. It never left marks that I know of or that other people saw. Um, it may have. But it was, it was done in love. There was consistency it wasn't a household where it was like, stop it, stop it, stop, stop, stop it. And we knew like on that one, you better stop because then you're going to be in trouble. It was just like, stop it. And we knew you proceed, you will die. <laughs> you will go to get the rod if you proceed because they said, stop it. There were rules. That's how it was. There was order. It was action, reaction. This is the rules, this is how we do things, and this is how it's going to be. God says, he who spares the rod hates his son. We live in a culture where like, you, you have to be so careful how you discipline, lest you be reported. And it was somewhat like that when I was a kid. I remember like being at a dinner table with people, and if we were misbehaving at all, my dad came over, and he had like the ability like Spock, to like grab your shoulder and make you want to die. And so he would come, how are you guys doing? And he'd grab my shoulder and we're fine. And we just knew it. And it really didn't even take that. Sometimes it was just like, look at me, right? Ron, Ron you know how I look, right? Dad looks at you and you just know like, oh, I better not proceed at all at this point. Because there was discipline. There was structure. I, I sat on an airplane with some behind a family of like four kids and two parents. Dad did not say a word the whole time. Mom was there just pleading with the kids. Please stop. Please be good. I'll do anything to you guys. I'll do anything. Okay, if you be good, like, we'll, we'll do this when we get there. and I'll give you this and I'll give you that. You guys, please stop. And the kids were jumping, climbing over, like out of control. All of them. And I just thought like, Oh, that dad needs to get involved, first of all. But secondly, like, that whole like negotiating thing of like, I'll do this, it just doesn't work. The, the, the Bible says, no, you, you spare the rod, you hate your kid. One who loves his kid disciplines him promptly. With love, but promptly and fairly. Okay? This is the reaction. It's a good thing for us to be disciplined. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, there is a responsibility for us as parents to discipline, to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord, to point them towards Christ, 
to teach them from God's word. It's a good thing. Now notice this. Ephesians 6.1, Paul says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice that the kids are in the service. They're there. He's addressing them. He's not, hey, mom, dad, tell your kids that they should obey you. He's just there and he's, he's addressing them. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's right. It's the right thing to do. That's why you obey your parents, because it's right. God said it. Your parents tell you to do something, God said it's the right thing to do to obey them. I mean, the, the, the Scripture's so clear on things to where, like even in the Old Testament, if a kid cursed his parents, the penalty of that was death. It wasn't just like, well, you're going to get your mouth washed out. It was death. I mean, you, it, it, was, it was serious. And it's not something that we joke about, because you look, you look at it and say, God takes this serious. You obey your parents. That's what God's called you to. It's the right thing to do. Colossians 3.20 is a similar passage to what we find in Ephesians, but it says this, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's right, and it's well-pleasing to the Lord. God is glorified when you obey your parents. Now, obviously, if your parents are unbelievers, you're to obey God first. But for you with believing parents... Children, you're to obey your parents in all things because it's right. It's simply right. It's what God's called you towards. You're worshiping God when you obey your parents and do what they say. He commands you towards this. John MacArthur in his commentary quoted from the Minnesota Crime Commission saying this, Every baby starts life as a little savage. (laughs) He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were it not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy given free reign to do their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. That's coming from the Minnesota Crime Commission. Every kid is a delinquent. Every kid is in a place where they need to learn. They need guidance. They need to grow. They need to know this is what's right. This is how we ought to live. This is what pleases God. These are things that you cannot do. These are things that you should do. We need rules. We need discipline. We need boundaries. We need to be able to have parents who love us in such a way that they say, this is what you ought to do. And God says, obey them. It's right. It's right. In fact, if you look at Romans 1.28, it talks about the unbeliever and says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, verse 28, Romans 1, 28. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. 
That's a crazy list, isn't it? When you start looking at this, it's like, okay, so they don't even want to know God. They're filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents. That's the next thing in the list. They're disobedient to their parents. They look and they say, okay, I know you said this, but how can I get around it? I know you said this, but I know better. I know you said this, but I'm going to do it my way. I know you said this, but you guys are crazy, and these parents are better, and I'm going to do it their way. I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you say. And God just says that this is sin. It's in that list of murder. It's in that list of inventors of evil things. It's in that list of all those things that God says, the children are disobedient to their parents. That's how they are. And God says, don't be like Egypt. Don't be like Canaan. Don't be like the world. Obey me. Obey my word. Obey my statutes. Have them memorized. Have it written on your hearts because it matters. Fear God enough to do what I'm calling you to do. Love me enough to do what I'm calling you to do. Do these things. This is right. Do these things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord when you do it. From there it said... They're undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same things, but also approve of those who practice them. God, help us kids to be in a place where you, you, you see that it's not a small thing to disobey your parents. It's just not. It's a serious thing. God is calling you to obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. It's in the list of all of these kind of wicked things if you don't do it. Obey your parents. This is what God's called you to. It is right. It pleases the Lord for you to do that. 2 Timothy 3 says this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and of such people turn away. Seriousness in there. Is this not heavy to you? You you, you read this and it's just like, in the last times, it's going to be a wicked, wicked time. And one of the things is children will be disobedient to their parents. I pray that, that we would hear the word, it would act as a mirror to us as it ought to do this morning, where the kids who are here listening are able to, to, to look at themselves and say, I am in sin in that area, and I love Christ. I love my God. I want to obey him. And I'm going to obey my parents. I'm going to be obedient. It pleases God, and I want to please him. Proverbs 10.1 says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son, son is the grief of his mother. Have wisdom. Wisdom comes from God's word. There's nothing more horrible to be a part of than to see a grieving mom because of decisions that its son 
or child has made. Ephesians 6, 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Honor them. Not only obey them, but honor them. Honor them. It's not a response of, well, you know my dad's crazy. Or being disrespectful to them. Talking poorly about them behind their back. God says, honor them. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with promise. That you may be well, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. I think this goes further than that as far as honoring them even as they get older in age. Not being in a place of like, okay, we'll send you to a home where someone else could just take care of you all the time. Although I recognize that there's times where it's just too much and there's a need to, to be able to have more help. For sure, there's times where we need more help. But I think that in our culture, it's different where it's far easier to just say, we'll just move them to the side rather than being actively involved in our parents' lives. The call to honor your parents, it goes, it goes on through the entirety of their lives, not just part of it. It goes on to where we're loving them, we're caring for them, even providing for them if necessary. There's times for where, where you think of yourself as a kid, your parents have poured everything into providing for you, and health care and, and Assisted living and all these things cost so much to where no matter how many resources your family has, it can dwindle down quickly. And being in a place where we honor them, we honor our father and mother, we desire to care for them, to love them, and honor them even to their final breath. God's called us towards this. Proverbs 19.26 says this, He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. There ought to be an honoring of your father and your mother. Um, it's to your benefit to do that. Not only that, but it says, and you may live long on the earth. It doesn't mean that every child that dies at a young age did not obey this. Because obviously the Lord takes people in his timing. But we must look to say that there is something to this, though. The way in which we live, God says on several occasions, things like this, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth, honoring them. Hmm. Lastly, Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Fathers, don't do that. Don't put a stumbling block in front of them. Don't do things that are unreasonable with them. Don't provoke them in such a way that they will do that. And I have seen that over and over again. Sometimes when parents just hold so tight to their kid that there's zero freedom, 
Or sometimes when there is such a passion to live their life through their kid. Oh, goodness. As a coach, I can't even begin to tell you how many parents, how many dads specifically, want to relive their athletic career through their kid because they weren't that good at it. And they want to be their kid to be everything that they weren't, even though their kid's four foot nothing and can't do it. And it's just like, oh, like, I mean, like they go crazy. Parents go crazy with their kids. And I just think like, don't do that. Like encourage something else for them or let us coach. Like no one's going to die today. Let's just play the game. Let's make it. It's a sport. It's supposed to be fun. You are nuts. And it's true. I see it. I'll go to these wrestling tournaments, and wrestling is a different breed, man. It is a different breed of people. You see parents there where it's, it's like your kid has got in a fight and has got his tail kicked. And so the parents are just like, ah! You see these kids, they're just bawling their eyes out like, I don't ever want to do this again, but I will because you'll kill me if I don't. You know, and they're just in the midst of this where some dad that just got his tail kicked wants to relive through his kid and the expectations on that child are so extreme that they provoke their children to wrath. There's kids that are stronger academically than others, and some of you find that in your, in your house. Um, to be able to know your kids, to be able to know the differences with them. And we have to talk about that. Like Our kids get A's and... and and so we, we joke about, like, well, what if you got this grade, you know? And the, the kids are like, a B is in Otsuji F. If I got a B, it would be in Otsuji F. Like, that would be really bad. And it's like, no, just try your hardest. Because we know that Andrew may be radically different, or Emily may be radically different. It's just a matter of trying your hardest. Just pour your heart into it. Just try your hardest to the glory of God. And if you do well, great. If not, we can focus on other things, and we want to encourage you in other ways, but not putting the kind of pressure on our kids that is so great that we provoke them to wrath. At the same time, encourage them. Don't be okay with just half-heartedness. Encourage them, but not provoking them to wrath. Benjamin West was an incredible artist, lived from 1738 to 1820. And Barclay, in his commentary on this, said that, that Benjamin West was a distinguished painter. Um, knew Benjamin Franklin very well. His son was the godson of Benjamin Franklin. Highly respected during his time. He was, when he was young, one day his mother went out, leaving him in charge of his younger sister, Sally. In his sister's absence... He discovered some bottles of colored ink and and decided to paint his sister's portrait. He made a mess with the ink all over the place. His mom came back. She didn't say anything about the terrible ink stains all over the place. Instead, she picked up the piece of paper on which he had been working and exclaimed, Why, it's Sally looked at this painting of just what he did as a little kid and said, it's Sally. And then she stooped and kissed him. Benjamin West used to say, my mother's kiss made me a painter. It made me a painter. She didn't 
rip into me. She gave me a kiss and encouraged me. To be parents who encourage, who love, correct, discipline when necessary, but do it in a heart of loving, just the way God loves us. We belong to him. So what does he do? He chastens us. He corrects us. He goes after us. He teaches us. He ministers to us. He's causing us to grow in wisdom. And he does it with such patience and kindness and incredible love in the same manner we ought to be as parents. Bringing our children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We're called towards this training and the admonition of the Lord. I recognize that there's people here who wish they could probably do it over again. Um, I can join you in that. There's a lot of things I wish I could do over again, and I cannot. That's where grace comes in, doesn't it? Thankful for grace? We love grace, don't we? We love grace. We all fail. We all sin. We all fall short. But may it be our aim, children, teenagers, to obey your parents, to honor them. Parents, to raise your children in the ways of the Lord, not provoking them to wrath. Training and admonition of the Lord, having that be the way that we are geared, so different than the way that the world operates. Brothers and sisters, there's a calling for us as Christians, and it's different than the world. Our guidebook is right here. It is right here. God knows. He's commanded us. He's clear. May God enable us to do just this. Us as a church, may we do this. Ray Woolsey's teaching the older Sunday school's ministry, and we talked about having them come in here this morning rather than be in their class. And yet, he was teaching on David and David's sin and said, I'm really excited to teach them of what not to do, the results of David, and how appropriate it is to obey your parents. And I said, well, keep them in that class. Don't bring them in here. Because the parents can go and talk to the kids about what they learned in here, right? But we're on the same team. Like there's a desire to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord to teach God's word in such a way that we are ministering to one another. But where Christ is the center and the gospel is vital to us and grace is essential. And where we grow to know him and to love him. Amen? We're about ready to partake in communion and... and How appropriate is it to partake in communion knowing that we need grace? Think of Jesus as he's there on the night in which he was what? Betrayed. He's going to call upon the disciples to watch and to pray. And they're going to fail over and over again. Could you not watch and pray for one hour without falling asleep? And they didn't. He 
He told Peter that he would deny him three times, that Peter would deny Christ three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. And hours later, Peter denies him three times. He even seen Christ look on him as the rooster crowed as he hung there on the cross. But prior to being betrayed, prior to the denial three times, he took bread and he said, this represents my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And as you do, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, which represents his blood that was to be shed in a few hours. He took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Take it and and drink it. And do this in remembrance of me, proclaiming the Lord's death till I come. What a picture of having our sins placed upon Christ on the cross. His blood shed for us. So that whatever sin we committed, however we have failed, in whatever ways we have made mistakes, in whatever ways we have sinned heinously, where sin abounds, there is the cross. Can you imagine anything that you've ever done in which we would look upon Christ hanging upon the cross, God becoming man, flesh, dying as an innocent lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing upon the cross, And looking upon Christ on the cross as he hung there with nails in his hands and in his feet, a crown of thorns upon his head, bruised and beaten, and think, what you did is good, but it's not good enough to cover this. It's just not the case. There's no sin that you've ever committed that is so great that Almighty God becoming man and dying on the cross is not sufficient to cover. Peter denying Christ three times, even when he was told that he would do that, even when he's threatened by a little girl, even when he wept bitterly when he saw Christ. Jesus came and said, when he rose again from the dead, go and tell the disciples and Peter. I've risen. That's the God that we serve. His blood, the cross, atones for every failure, every sin, every heinous sin, everything that we've ever done. And so when we partake together, what a joy it is to know who our Savior is. He has covered it all. He's covered it all. precious blood of Christ covers our sin. I pray that, that we'd approach the Lord's table this morning with hearts that are just filled with joy, filled with joy, and that 
we're forgiven. If my son or daughter were in here this morning and heard this sermon, I could guarantee you that they'd be sitting there going like, well, you provoked me to wrath on this time. And at that time, and you failed in this way and that way, they would know that and they would know better than all of you what a wretch I am. But they'd also know that I have a Savior. And his name is Christ. And pay the price for all my sins. You may be here with your kids and they know. They know how the house runs. They know how you respond. They know what it was like on the way to church. On the way to church, those are some of the hardest times, right? Um, Thank God for grace, right? We all need grace. Every one of us needs grace. And to be at a place of where sin abounds, grace abounds much more because of the cross. May we be a church with adults and kids alike that love, love, love grace. We love forgiveness. We love that his mercies are new every morning. We love that he gives us his word that we can study it and say, let's make changes. Let's do things differently. I'll obey joyfully as unto the Lord it pleases God. I'll raise you in the ways of the Lord. I'll be consistent and discipline you in a way that is right. I'll point you towards Christ. With all my heart, I'll desire to please God in the way that I raise you and for kids in the way that you respond to your parents. Us doing things the way God calls us to do things will enable us that much more to shine brightly for Christ in this world. So let's pray together and then we'll partake in the elements. Lord God, we thank you for the cross. We remember you at this time. We're so thankful for what you have done for us. Something that we could never do, and that's pay the price for our sins. You have done. And you tell us to take the bread and take the cup and to do this in remembrance of you, proclaiming your death till you come. And I pray that every part of this time would just be praise and adoration and worship unto you, our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.